Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today on the show, it's just yap, yap, yap. Oh, dear listener, we're so sad and complicated. Welcome to Wins Howling, a companion podcast to The Witcher TV show on Netflix. We'll be diving deep into each episode of the show and exploring the larger context of the story from the games and novels. I'm Brett. And my name's Abu. And we are at the penultimate episode of The Witcher Season 2. The end is nigh. Wow. Not only that, but the white frost is nigh as well because I am looking at <laughs> snow in Texas. Right. What? Yeah, you have a snow day over there. How does that feel? It feels awesome because I also have one tomorrow. <laughs> so it's an impromptu four-day weekend. And I can assure you, teachers like them just as much, if not more, than the students. Oh, man, I am so jealous. Well, that's great because I'm sure you worked hard on today's script and rewatched the episode two times, three times, and you should be pretty prepared today. We are, yes. And... <laughs> You'll know, I guess you'll find out when we get to key moments, it's getting hot. It's going to get a little hot. Yeah, there's a lot of ground to cover today. So without further ado, let's jump in and take care of some housekeeping and some mailbag emails from listeners. A reminder that these episodes are spoiler free. Yes, we are at the penultimate episode. No, that does not mean we will talk about episode eight. But as always, we like to sprinkle in some light book spoilers and speculation. So keep that in mind. There may be light spoilers from the larger Witcher canon. We also love to hear from you. Podcast at gmail.com is the best place to reach us. Share your thoughts about season two with us. Share your own speculation and opinions on this season and all Witcher goodness. And speaking of emails, let's jump right into our mailbag because we have two emails to talk about today, Brett. First up, a very short email from Audrey about a certain owl that we have seen in the show. She writes, I had a question about book versus show in season two, episode four. You referred to the owl that Dijkstra was talking with as a snowy owl. Is that from the books? Because owls are my other thing, and I can tell you that the distinctive owl in the show is actually a barn owl. You know them by the very flat face. Well, Holy shit, Brett, we stand corrected. It's actually a barn owl. Yeah, I'll follow that under now I know. <laughs> and I actually did look up or tried to look up at least in this kind of a weird translation of the books. I think I've mentioned before, I have them digitally so I can easily search terms, kind of a way to look it up. And I could not find where it said a specific owl. I don't know if I've ever heard it. So, but yes, barn owl is now... We're going to rule it as at least wins howling canon. We'll take your word for it. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Audrey, for that email and for that knowledge. All right, Bright. Email number two is from Kelly. And she was asking about our boy, Yaskier. This is some of what she wrote in her email. 
There's the reticence in the show to address Yaskier as a potentially queer character to the extent that the show might be queer baiting. Indeed, as a queer woman viewer, I've read Yaskier as pretty darn queer. Among many things, this includes his explanation of why he took on the Sandpiper role you discussed on the pod. They'll come for anyone perceived as other. No artist will be safe. His delivery of artist came across as an old-timey veiled reference to queerness. Let's grow up and bring things out of subtext. That's a big discussion currently going on in the Witcher community. And I think, Brett, before you and I want to sort of jump in and share our own opinions, there's like a big caveat we want to get out of the way. Kelly even mentioned this in her email, that she's aware that you and I are two straight cisgender men, and we're not exactly qualified to talk about this topic and to really do it justice. So we want to make sure that that caveat is here at the start. We're happy to share our opinions, but take our opinions with a giant grain of salt. We cannot speak to the experiences of people in the LGBTQ plus community watching this show. All we can do is share our own views and our own experiences watching the show. That having been said, as far as the book canon is concerned, correct me if I'm wrong, Brett, but I think Yaskier is unequivocally straight in the books. He's this womanizer. He sleeps with a ton of women throughout the series, or he at least tells Geralt that he does. And as far as I recall, I don't think there's even the slightest hint of sexual fluidity for his character, at least in the books. I don't think there's any subtext to it in the sense of he's overcompensating. Like, there's just really nothing that from the books. He's just an old school type womanizing player, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. So that's sort of the book canon. Of course, the show is not 100% beholden to that and has time and time again diverged from the book. So as far as the show is concerned, we're happy to share our thoughts on this topic as well, because it's it's been a point of discussion in the community. And Brett, I'll let you kick it off. You You had some thoughts you wanted to share about this. This seems to be something the fandom has made bigger than what it is. I think it started off as a joke. Mm -hmm. And they kind of made it's like a crack ship. And that's something I've learned in the last couple of years of what it is. Okay, wait, what what does that word mean? Okay, I've never heard that. Okay, crack ship? Okay, like you're shipping somebody, but a crack ship is a crack ship is one that is just completely outlandish. Okay. I just think this took on a controversial feel. Because people may be projecting their feelings and views onto these characters. And I just think people may just be wanting to see it. But I also will say, I don't fully understand the queer coding thing as well. So I will take people's word for that and believe it that have looked into it and know exactly what that is. Because it does seem to be there. And that might just be Netflix trying to dance around everything and kind of play it both ways. And another thing too, this Geralt Yaskier, uh, yeah, Geralt Yaskier thing is called Garaskier. Like I've <laughs> honestly almost had to mute that on Twitter because it just kept coming up so much. <laughs> I will say this though, like from the canon, from like the book canon, nobody is really clear cut homosexual. Right. And so, yeah, unless Andre Sapkowski pulls the JK Rowling and retcons one's sexuality, a la Dumbledore, I think that's what happened, right? Yep. Yeah. Is it, Geralt Yaskier and Yennefer though are straight. As far as we know, to your point about Netflix trying to have their cake and eat it, too. That's what stuck out to me from Kelly's email in particular. Like, I think it's pretty clear 
as many people in the community have picked up on, there seems to be this implication that Yaskier's not 100% straight. And I actually can understand that. I had that thought myself watching the show. And what I wanted to say about Kelly's email is that it actually reminded me of a Polygon article by Nico Deo about queer baiting in popular culture and how it's a way for companies to quote unquote be woke without actually having to be woke. It's an interesting piece. It's actually about the Netflix show Arcane, which everyone must absolutely watch. It is so good. It's such a great show. But I wanted to share a non-spoiler quote from that article that I think is relevant to this discussion. This is what Nico wrote in that piece. Quote, what savvy media companies generally have angled toward in the last few years is taking a queer audience's collective thirst for recognition and then using that audience to generate that recognition from scraps. It means that inclusion is a marketing tool to capture a broader audience instead of a necessary starting point. It means getting the safest reflection a fraction of a facet instead of a vibrant, authentic portrayal. If a show or a game can keep any LGBTQIA representation ambiguous enough for queer people to put clues together while not alienating its more conservative audience, then all we're left with is Schrodinger's canon, one that only reveals itself upon a viewer's perception. It can be ignored if so desired. End quote. I think that criticism could be made against The Witcher if they are trying to play with Yaskier's sexuality, but kind of tap dancing around it, then that is kind of not committing to it. It's also important to note as far as Netflix is concerned that this is just a policy, if you will, of capitalism. They will slap a Black Lives Matter on a bag of cookies if it will sell more cookies. They will slap a Blue Lives Matter on a pack of cookies if it'll sell more cookies. That's all that matters. And that's the same thing too with Netflix here. They don't care about representation. They care about more viewers, getting more awards, and making more money. Right, right. And that that sort of actually summarizes how I feel about the whole thing. That looking at the story from a purely canon perspective, no, Yaskier isn't queer in any way. But if the show does want to go down that route, then they uh, just need to commit. And I think that's a that's a fair criticism against the show. Yeah. So, Kelly, Audrey, thank you both for the wonderful emails and for sharing your owl knowledge and your perspective on Yaskier and his potential queerness in the show. With the mailbag out of the way, let's actually dive into today's episode, Brett. We'll start off with a summary of the episode. Then we'll jump into some thematic takeaways and we'll wrap up with our final impressions. So let's get to it. There's blood on the tiles as Geralt and Neneke Neneke, (laughs) survey the aftermath of the temple attack. The big thing that stood out to me here was Geralt saying, I learned my lesson about Yennefer and wishes. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. What do you make of that? I loved that. I loved that he doesn't really trust her as much as he loves her. She has taken Siri away from him, and that is a breach of that trust and a breach of that love. It's a crack in their relationship for sure, as it seems to be a clear betrayal. So Nenica warns Geralt that Siri needs more than he can offer her and opens a portal for him. 
Yennefer and Cirilla are at the house of the woman who took her back in season one. This is a horrible moment for Ciri, and upon discovering the charred corpses, I don't think it was a good time for the firefucker line. <laughs> yeah. Like, honest to God, I almost gasped because they show these charred corpses and you're like, oh my God. And then Yen just jumps in front of Siri and goes, firefucker. I was like, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe not the time for that. Right. Felt a little out of place, but I think it was just the show trying to tell us that Reince has been following Siri's trail and this family was just one of his victims. Yeah, rinse. There's like seven rinses all over this uh, continent. So <laughs> he's uh, he's been duplicated a little bit. Siri <laughs> brings up wanting to kill the Black Knights. And off the center they go with the titular Volith Mayor leading Yen onward toward that black door. So this again is Siri bringing up. She continues to have this desire, if you will, to kill Kyre, the Black Knight. And I guess, it, I don't know, we, because we're not in Siri's mind as much as we are in the books, this doesn't seem to hit as hard either. Because when she says that, I'm like, oh, yeah, is this them reminding us that she's still kind of thinking about Kyre? But I just, I just don't think we're with Siri enough for this to really land like it really did before. I mostly took it as she's thinking about Sintra again. She even tells Yen in this scene, I, I have fantasized about going back to Sintra. It's her home. It obviously brings up that horrible night where she escaped. So for me, this was more of a Sintra connection that going back is bringing back those memories of the Black Knight and the trauma from escaping. The man with the feathered helmet. That's right. Tissaia and Vilgefortz are done banging and the L word <laughs> comes out of Vilgefortz. The love. Ooh. <laughs> Damn, strong. Yeah, that was, coming on strong. that was like, oh, they really are together. Oh, love. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> General Hake, Frangilla, and Kyre are strolling through Sintra discussing the elven problem. And I can't not hear Foltest now when Hake speaks. Yes. You have ruined it for me now, too. Completely ruined. <laughs> He's the voice actor for Foltest in the games. And now every time he speaks, I'm like, God damn it, Brett. Especially <laughs> in this scene. I In this scene, I'm thinking like, man, is this just a clip from The Witcher 2? Is this 80 yard? <laughs> they just grabbed something he said about elves? Because <laughs> you don't like the elves full test, obviously, either. Yeah. Well, Frangilla is being bodied by both men who tell her to get your shit together as the Emperor Emir arrives tomorrow. And Frangilla is just filling it on all sides. And we'll really hit on her a little bit more kind of in those key moments. But she uh, she played up she played a really big part in this episode. She did, and I feel for her in this scene. I mean, she's backed into a corner by these two men, and while Kai here is sort of trying to play the peacemaker, General Hake is just unloading on her, and straight up tells her like, "You're not in charge here. Back the fuck up." Yeah, and basically tells Kai here like, "Wait, are are you in charge? That's you, right? <laughs> You're in charge. Okay, I'm gonna go hang an yeah. elf a girl right now. Right as oh, we get more." Dick. We get more, oh my God, it's every episode. Yeah, oof. This elf girl is hung from the castle walls for stealing goods. And the thing here is, and again, it'll be resolved by the end of the episode. I just don't believe that the elves would put up with this. This would be a problem. Like, I know they're distracted by with the whole baby news and everything like that. But the very militant elves, Philavandrel and Francesca's brother, whose name escapes me, they would not be putting up with this. There would be a near mutiny, if you will, based on the way they're treating the elves like this. This would not go down this smoothly. 
Totally. I agree with you 100% here. It's very weird that the elves are still like, yeah, cool, we're still going to keep chilling here and working with Nilfgaard when their people are literally being hung from the walls. And being hung for needing food. Yeah. And breaking in at night or leaving at night or whatever it was to get goods. And it's just like, because ultimately this does not play into Francesca and Phil Evangel's reasons for leaving or not fighting. It's solely the baby. And so I, I don't know, this seemed just, this seemed like a scene that was just not needed. And it, to be fair, the show is trying to make clear that there's some dissent because earlier in this same scene, I believe Kai here is the one who says this. They mentioned how like half the elves didn't show up for training today. Then I guess with that, they should have shown them hanging some of them and not a girl who was trying to steal goods, you know? Yeah. If it was one of those, or if we just see the drunken elves lying around and they're getting like kicked and being like, hey, get up and train. It just seemed more, look, look, persecuted elves. Look, the elves are mistreated. The elves are mistreated. It's like literally we've gotten something horrific almost every episode. So at this point, I'm kind of just overseeing my elves persecuted. <laughs> that, that's what this is about. Totally fair. Moving on to Yaskier. He's back and he's in prison singing the best song of the season. That is my opinion only. It is a certified <laughs> banger. And I'm going to run this over to you. Do you agree that this is a certified lore party winds howling banger? Absolutely. Okay, it's official. 100%. It's got the winds howling endorsement. Yaskier, buddy. Drop the full track. I need to hear it. It's got the spoons in there. <laughs> it was so good. Yeah. Well, well, who doesn't think it's a certified banger is the guard who threatens to do. I can't remember exactly what it was. And then basically says he's going to go take a shit or something like that. Geralt arrives, beats the guy up. And then Yasker forgives him rather easily. Yeah. And I actually took this as a pretty touching moment. We've all experienced, like, we get in a fight with our best friend, we don't talk to them for a couple of days, and then when we finally see them, we've been thinking about all the nasty things we'll say, and you just kind of melt, right? Because it's still your best friend, and you, you still love them, and you still want to get along. That's how I read this scene, is like, Yaskier perhaps has been spending these last couple of months fuming, writing speeches in his head that he'll say to Geralt, but when he finally comes face-to-face -face with one of his best friends... He's just like, ah, shit. Like, I am happy to see him. And he's also breaking him out of prison. So <laughs> that that also helps a lot. Yeah, that is it. I guess I just also didn't feel I know Geralt was in a hurry and it was super important, but Geralt just could not care less about what Yaskier spilling his guts out or anything like that. <laughs> he, he did not care. But again, there are bigger fish to fry. Yeah, true. Back with Yennefer and Siri as they open up a bit about Geralt. Yen says longing, regret, hope and fear is what was between her and Geralt. And Ciri's like, yep, you love him too. <laughs> Just in a different way. They both admit it. And Ciri calls him the father she never had. A good scene. I, I also liked this scene because all throughout this episode, Yen is a bit inconsistent. She's still taking Ciri to Sintra like the Deathless Mother wants, but we don't actually know if she's going to commit and she's starting to doubt herself. And I think this scene is important to show Yennefer that she has a kindred spirit in Ciri, that they both love Geralt in this way. Okay. And you can tell by the sigh. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm trying to find, because I don't know exactly the words 
And I don't want to say, you know, we're just beating the dead horse of, and we're parroting, well, in the books, well, in the books. And I think by now, people should understand, we're not saying it needs to be a certain way. Yes. But having said that, a huge point of this show is Geralt, Siri, and Yennefer are a family. A whole thing going back to the canon is Geralt and Siri are together. Geralt cannot help Siri. He needs help. He goes to Yennefer. He willingly, or I should say reluctantly, goes to Yennefer. And Yennefer takes on Siri of her own accord. And then Yennefer and Siri grow together. And again, another one of those things of Blood of Elves was their was relationships. And here, Yennefer kidnaps Siri. Not fully against Siri's will, but she kind of says, Siri, hey, you have to give a portal. Or we're going to die because Rince is there. And they go out. Her ulterior motives of Volithmir cloud every single one of her moves. And this is where we're starting to see, oh my God, Yennefer might actually care about Siri in like two scenes. Like, I'm sorry, this should needs to be two episodes with about seven or eight scenes. They literally get together at the end of one episode and they're split apart by the end of the next episode. They're not even together for an entire episode. And it's just stuff like this that it's just missing the mark. And I really want to know from the show watchers only, not the people who have watched the show and then read the books or read the books, watched the show or play the game, anything like that. Show watchers only. I genuinely want to know what you think about how they've done the relationships like Siri and Yen. This is supposed to be a mother daughter relationship. And I cannot foresee anybody getting that. I would love to love to know that as well, actually. Like show only listeners, please write to us and tell us, did you get a mother-daughter relationship starting to form between Yen and Siri. Because I actually, as much as I liked this scene, Brett, I actually agree with you. This scene made sense in the context of the show, but the Yen-Siri relationship has now diverged so much from the books that this feels so rushed for this relationship to like roller coaster over the course of just a single episode. I just, I don't know. I'm so starved for them to be together. That at first I was like, oh, I really like the scene. And then again, on a rewatch and everything, it all I could think of is just yet another missed opportunity that we needed more of them to do it. Yeah. Scenes like this certainly feel rushed in that context. And you're correct that the Volithmir stuff just muddies a lot of the water here. Uh, yeah, that would be there are there are really two major questions that if I ever speak with the showrunner, I would ask. The first one is the inclusion of Volithmir. Just genuinely wondering like why that was put in, like what what was behind that and why they felt that was really necessary. And the other one's the other one's going to cover our first key moment. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll we'll circle back to that. For sure. And baby news. Francesca yes. Philavandrel discuss the name as Dara brings them some food. So Dara quickly just right in there. Frangilla comes in and brings her coach's voice, and I know this voice. I had to do it a few times this week <laughs> in, the, in the classroom. But Philavandril is undeterred. The elves will rebuild and not die in someone else's war. Family and blood is the one bond that cannot be broken, and one Francesca must protect. And this line is obviously very thematically resonant. We've talked time and time again about how the core of this show is the family of Geralt, Yennefer, and Ciri. And that's what they're hitting on here as well. Family is a bond that can never be broken. 
a lot of big theme energy coming from this line. I loved it. BTE. And this was a major change as well, a major addition. There is no baby from the original stories, but I genuinely actually grew to like this one. At first I was like, why is she pregnant? Blah, blah, blah. There are some things with Francesca as well that are different that I have questions about. But this tying it into, oh, the elves now have something, one, to celebrate, like, holy shit, there actually something good happened to them. And I'm sure nothing bad's going to happen. Nothing at all. Nothing bad happened. How could it? Nothing bad ever happens to the elves, right? This is a turning point. <laughs> now everything's looking up Francesca and Philavandrel. Happily ever after. I'm calling it now. We head to the Brotherhood as they start breaking it down with Dijkstra in the room. I, I don't think I would do that with him there. Like, it's one thing for him to learn secrets. It's another when you discuss this Brotherhood news in, in the inner sanctum with him literally right there. Uh, don't do that. <laughs> right. Don't do that. The spy master of Redania yes. in the room. He's going to know everything <laughs> anyway. Don't just tell him. Oh, they're maybe just trying to cut yeah. out the middleman. <laughs> right. It's like, look, this, this fucker's going to know about it. So... <laughs> Just, just let him in here. We, now we know what he knows, at least what we told him, what we said. Yeah, true. Yeah. Vilgefort's defense to say, aww, and says that she does not have any soft spots, which prompts the oh, burn of the century and the line delivery of the century. <laughs> with Shregobor quipping, well, you'd know. <laughs> Yo! It was, that, that was amazing. Holy shit. Lars Mikkelsen. Savage Shregobor. Oh my God. Like just the, like a tilt of his, or tip of his head, you know. You'd know, wouldn't you? It's like, <laughs> I, I can't believe Vilgeforce didn't just light him up like right there. <laughs> yeah, holy shit. Dijkstra tells them about the elven baby and that he knows Triss is back in Eratusa. Here's the thing, too. This gets brought up later with Arturius. Am I missing something? Why is this such a big deal that Triss is back in Eratusa? What, what did I miss? I think it's more about Siri. I think Triss is back with information about Siri. And because everyone is desperate to find Siri, they're like, why doesn't Tris tell us? But how do they do they know that she was at Kermoran? Is that what it is? Because they is that what we're just supposed to assume? And that, I believe they don't so. know Siri was at Kermoran. Like that's what I don't. That's what I just don't understand. Yeah. No, I, I understand your confusion. I'm also confused on that front. Like Tysay is the only one that right now knows Tris ever saw Siri or was at Kermoran. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it, it's weird that the other sorcerers are also super like hyped about Triss. But I think the assumption is, yes, they know that Triss has some kind of important information. Yeah, and Vilgefortz later really wants to know that Triss... Yeah, it's... I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll figure it out when we get to that scene. <laughs> we'll talk <Yeah>. through it. <laughs> There's a fun line from Dijkstra here, and I believe you wrote this down. Yeah, I wanted to make sure we bring this up because a listener actually mentioned this in an email. Dijkstra says, quote, Yes, there are tales of many a strange stomach ailment this spring, end quote. And this is actually just a cute little nod to the book where Triss comes down with some sort of stomach bug, stomach virus while she's traveling with Geralt and Ciri. And this is perhaps the show acknowledging that uh, that scene from the books. Oh, that's interesting. Who are they traveling with? <laughs> That'll be in the takeaways later. And there you go. They're tense. Okay, we'll get there. I'm just trying to hurry through this so I can talk about that. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're itching to talk about it. We'll get there. But on to what I'm sure a lot of people's favorite scene was. <laughs> Shirtless Yaskier is there as Henry Cavill does his best coat rack impersonation. 
As Yaskier starts to bathe, and <laughs> literally Geralt just holds his coat. Yeah. He enlightens the Witcher about Yennefer, and he deduces that she is in cahoots with the deathless mother, the titular Volith Mir. First Witchers were hired to imprison her in the hut. In the middle of this lovely conversation, an axe is thrown down, and it's Yarpen Zigrin and his band yes. of dwarfs. And true to character, Yarpen is out of control. He's <laughs> dialed it up to 17 <laughs> at all times. He's having so much fun on screen. So Yarpen and his band of dwarves are running convoys for Henselt, and motherfuck, this is where we don't get Shaharawed. And this mm-hmm. is where I do the rest of the podcast with my teeth clenched. <laughs> okay, but we'll get there. All right, we'll get there. Yarpin saves it, though. <laughs> this is now the new line of the show. Okay, and the new line of the season of everything. Yarpin says, normally I tell you to shit twice and die. <laughs> when asked for help, I tell you to shit twice and die. <laughs> so funny. It's so great because the shit twice had me like, huh? And then just the die. It just ends up with just dying. Like, just go, go shit, die. And then fuck yourself and die. Just shit twice and die. Unbelievable. I have a feeling you're going to add that to your repertoire. I will absolutely be stealing that. And uh, <laughs> perfect. Back to mother-daughter as Yen tells Siri to see what chaos can do for you. At this broken bridge, she instills confidence in the lion cub as she attempts to basically put this bridge back together. Her eyes start to bleed. About the seventh time this episode, my eyes started to get open and be like, and she (laughs) screams in frustration, but it works as the rocks simply just come closer. Did I see that correctly? It just kind of brought it all together at that point right by them? Yeah, I got the sense that she either just like portaled them or she warped reality so that they just ended up on the other side of the Oh, okay. Yeah. Which is a astonishing example of her powers. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, how about those bleeding eyes? Oh my gosh. Yeah, Yen turns to Siri in this moment and says, when you have power like that, never apologize. And I'm like, yeah, that's on brand for Yen to say, but I'm over here a little concerned about the bleeding eyes. <laughs> I guess that's a rite of passage that she'll tell her later. She's so like, oh, I guess my eyes were fucking bleeding. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, that happens. Right. Ugh, scary stuff. Back at Eratusa, Tissaia done be fucking up. She betrays Triss by telling Vilgefortz what she knows. And then Vilgefortz gets pissed because Tissaia was not open with him. All of this drama, Tissaia, you're trying to play both a little bit. Now they're both mad at you. Yeah. Did you know who I'm not mad at? I'm not mad at badass, sexy samurai Vilgefortz. And he can cut me in half any day. Hello. That robe he's rocking this season, though. Dude, it's like, is it a kimono? Or does it just look like it? It very strongly resembles a kimono, but I don't think it's a full-on kimono. Okay, the design just seems like it. And he has his hair in a bun and tied up a way that I would have seen like samurais and stuff and like movies and whatnot be tied up. And and I'm just like, okay, they're kinda they're kinda given that, but no, he's he he is a badass, but he does not keep his cool. And he then kind of manipulates her a little bit with I always trusted you. I wish you'd trust me, kind of thing. Yeah. And uh yeah, he's um he's kind of showing a little bit here. Right. We've known since the end of the last season that Vilgefortz isn't exactly trustworthy. And at least for me, the way I read this scene is that 
it's starting to become clear that he's perhaps playing games with Tessea. He might have dropped the L-bomb earlier, but I don't know if he actually meant it. It seems to me that he's using her to gain power. He also gladly took credit for the victory at Sodden. <laughs> like complete right, total right. credit. Which again is another thing too in the books. He he was given credit for it. You know, it was again very yes. different of what happened, but he was the leader of the mages there. Exactly. I liked that we saw some of Vilgaforce's true colors here. The way he lost his cool in this scene, the way that he's like talking shit to Tysaia, it all feels very yucky and manipulative. I'm no Vilgaforce fan. Yeah, he's um he's that guy when it comes to like a relationship like this. Absolutely. So we're still at Eratusa and Fragilla just whoop goes right into there. And I guess anybody can just portal in anywhere at any time. And yeah, I, I don't know, maybe Rince might be here soon enough. The oh way my he's God. going. Yeah, for real. Where's the magical protection, y'all? That's I it's wild. That she don't get me wrong, I know Fragilla's strong mage and all that, but she goes right into Arturius's inner sanctum little office here. Right. She basically realizes she is fucked at Nilfgaard. She's messed up. The elves at this point now are leaving. They've said they're done. They're going to rebuild. They're out. Emir is coming literally tomorrow, and she has no allies anymore. She has nothing to show. She comes back to the Brotherhood, and Uncle Artorius saying, you're my blood. It's stronger than everything else. I want to be back in to the fold, as she messed up too much. But... Arturius is like, okay, we'll take you back. She's like, I'll apologize. You know, he's like, oh, yeah, 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 you know that. Um, but you're also going to apologize for thinking you could make any impact there and thinking you could actually have power. You know where you belong. And when he says that line, Fringilla's this bitch look, you can see <laughs> an unbelievable acting job. Yeah. Right there by Mimi. And I looked up how to say her last name. I'm going to butcher it now. It's like Mimi Indwini or something like that. And unbelievable because you can see in this moment, she turns on a dime and is like, you know what? I can't fucking do this. Fuck you, motherfucker. I'm going back and getting mine. Yep. She says all of that with just her face here in a nice close up shot. Yes. And it's incredible. Some wonderful acting. We are at the scene. The Nilfgaardian oh Last Supper in all its Renaissance glory. Yeah. The Nilfgaardian High Commander enjoying a nice meal when all of a sudden they are frozen. Except they can blink. Mm-hmm. Frangilla comes in saying, oh yeah, nightshade, mead, look what I can do. And again, it's just the acting of the eyes. Every one of them are just looking around. Nothing else is moving with their eyes. And it's just abject terror and oh shit, knife in the eye. That was wild. I did not think she was going to do that. And then they stood on the shot for way too long. I, I have closed to look my away. eyes. Oh, completely. Yeah. I'm like really uncomfortable with eye stuff. And that was just, I could not watch that. The sound was bad enough. <laughs> yeah. Volithmir eggs her on as she kills every one of them. Well, except the most important character besides her. Right. You, right, right. you got to leave him open there. <laughs> yeah. Got to leave Guy here alive. Yeah. Because Emir needs to hear the treachery that Frangilla uncovered and says to rave when Emir arrives. What a power play. I, I cannot say enough good things about this scene. It, when, when I was first watching it, I knew as I was watching it how special it was, how incredible it was, just as a spectacle to watch in and of its own, and especially for Frangilla's character. 
Well, last we saw her was that scene with Arturis where she's like, you know what? I am going to go fucking take my power. And holy shit, she's taking power. This is easily, for me, a top three scene of this season. Incredible. We move on to King, and I mean King Vizimir, as he is not playing Gwent with Dijkstra. <laughs> it's not Gwent. That's the time they could have put in Gwent. Uh, that would have been a great I, Gwent uh, As Easter soon as egg. they were holding the cards, I was like, oh, please be Gwent. It's going to be Gwent. It's going to be Gwent. <laughs> it's not Gwent. But again, he looks very put out. As Dijkstra is, again, just telling him all of this stuff that matters. Mm-hmm. The goal is basically to destabilize the continent and Bedlam take over. Yep. And we can add Redania to the long list of people desperate to capture Siri for their own devices. And that's good because that's essentially what everybody's doing in the original story. Siri is a MacGuffin for everybody else. Yeah, for real. Yennefer leads Siri closer to her destiny, the shattered black door in Sintra. She says magic is a type of pain combined with bliss and that it is everything. And I can definitely understand that, especially from Yennefer's point of view. Yeah, it's given her everything she's ever desired and also everything she ever hates. And I may have misread this or misseen this, whatever, but Yen and Siri then speak telepathically and Siri kind of finds out everything. Is that what it was? I don't know. This Shared is a very weird something? scene. I think... The implication, perhaps, or at least how I saw it, is that something with Ciri's powers and perhaps her elder blood played a role in this, that when she touched Yen, they had this telepathic connection where Yen was sort of revealing her intentions to her. Yeah, Yen admits to tricking her. She owns up to it. And then it's it's, it's earthquake time again is... Whenever Siri gets at the outskirts of Sintra, she just starts all these 7.8 fucking Richter scale earthquakes over here. Right. And it goes all the way into the city. And I love how almost immediately the guards are just like, hey, those two out there. Yeah. <laughs> they must yeah. have done it. <laughs> but anyway, like, is, is it even six soldiers right out? I didn't count exactly, but it, it's just a handful. Yeah. Yeah. It's just tight, you know, a little bit out there, but they're quickly disposed of by an arriving Geralt and Yarpin, and they save the day. And then millions of fanboys and lore keepers' heads just explode as we get blade <laughs> to the throat. And that was, you could hear the whirring of the blade as he's holding it to her throat. And it was a gasping moment when I saw it. For sure. The sound design was incredible, and the timing was incredible. It was a moment where you hold your breath. Geralt makes Yennefer say the Deathless Mother line, hut hut, as Ciri leaves with Yaskier and Yarpin. We then jump to kind of a mixture of both, but I don't, I'm not sure if it's supposed to be tied into it, but this is where we see the elven baby that has basically been knifed to death has been killed. Mm-hmm. And I, it, it, it's kind of mixed with Yen and Geralt arriving at this hut, saying Volathmir has escaped. Were they, was this supposed to be tied? I don't think it was connected. I think the idea is, was that we just saw Volathmir wreaking havoc and escaping the hut. So it was like a quick cut of Volathmir and then a quick cut of the baby getting murdered. So as all this is happening, the very last scene is this, I call it a swarm of fireflies, but it's very clearly Volathmir. She has escaped the hut. She chases down Siri and... Scene. Oof. Yeah, cut to credits. What a way to end the episode. And that wraps up today's episode, episode seven, Volith Mir. 
with that summary out of the way, we're going to take a short break here, take a bit of a breather, but stick around because we will be right back with our two key takeaways from today's episode. Brett's looking forward to this one, y'all. You're going to want to hear this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back. And the first key moment is Shaharawet. I finally get to talk about this. And I'm not going to lie. I went really long. <laughs> it almost feels what I have written down as long as the recap. So I'm just going to go and stop me when you have something to say or something to add. Because I'm pretty much going to go very detailed on this. Because I truly do believe it was the most important thing from Blood of Elves. And the fact that I really do think they could have put it into the show. Yeah, absolutely. So Shaharawed, this comes from chapter four of Blood of Elves. At this point, Geralt comes across Yarpin Zigrin and his merry band of dwarves in service to King Henselt of Kedwin with a convoy of gold and other treasures. So it's again, it's pretty similar at this point to what we had in the show. Geralt, Siri, and a gravely sick Triss, a stomach ailment, she's got diarrhea. They're traveling together, mm -hmm. but y Yarpin and Siri hit it off. It's very respectful, and Yarpin is every bit the character that he has portrayed on the show. Yeah, I liked that. I really loved in the book how Yarpin and Siri immediately created a, a friendship. The two of them got along so well. It was very cute. And again, it's one of the rare times, at least so far, I believe, that Siri has interacted with a non-human in the books. Mm -hmm. Geralt and Siri have this little detour, and they're on their own. They notice movement in the trees and both deduce that these are the Skoyatel, these non-human freedom fighters or terrorists, however you see it. Again, these are not in the show. Geralt tells Ciri not to mention any of this to Yarpin or the other dwarves. And Ciri admits that she does not understand whose side are we on, who is the friend, who is the enemy. And here comes the Geralt neutrality defense, saying we have enough problems of our own and they won't attack anyway. The reason dwarves are entrusted with this valuable wagon load is that the Skoyatel will not attack non-humans. They must be here for something else. That something else they are here for is these massive blocks on granite and marble decorated with long patterns and wrapped with aging moss and ivy. They sit on the ruins of this elven palace known as Sherawed. An enormous rose bush grew over the remnants of this image that had not yet been desecrated by treasure hunters. The face of Aelorin, the white rose of Sherawed. The elven leaders wanted to wait out this plague of humans, as they called them, retreat to the mountains and survive with their long lives. Aelorin did not. She stirred up the blood of the younger elves and led them into this last-ditch attack against the humans where they were utterly massacred. And this ties into the show's aspect of why they're so happy to have that baby, and we talked about the elves last episode. Siri takes a rose and pricks herself, launching her into a trance where she witnesses the convoy being attacked. Geralt was mistaken, as the Skoyatel have attacked human and dwarf alike. But the most important thing here is Siri basically gets into this little fight, if you will, with the female elf, and she held out as long as she could, but she was disarmed and literally about to be finished off. This elf has a sword raised, she's going to bring it down. 
until the elf notices the white rose pinned to her jerkin. Geralt is able to then save the day as he does, and the dying words of Aelorin and Shaharawed are on her lips. What ends up happening here is this whole thing was a ruse used by the Kid Winnies to see if Yarpin and the dwarves were loyal to them or if they would betray them to the Skoyas Hell. And it's even hard to say. I was trying to make it this whole way through <laughs> without my voice cracking, but it's, again, it's just so good. Is Yarpin basically says, what have you made us? And he sees the, the, all these dead elves and the dead dwarves and his own people. And he received nothing in response. Nobody knew what to say. It's absolutely one of the best chapters in Blood of Elves, easily hands down. Second only, maybe, to Yennefer's letter is this scene, this entire history of Sharawed, this dwarven convoy that Geralt, Triss, and Ciri are a part of for this chapter, and just how much it tells us about elf human history, how much it tells us about the Scoyotel, and how much it explores this gray area of neutrality and humanity and non-humans and the relationships and the muddiness between all of that. It's so, so important to The Witcher, and I could not agree more with you. Brett, that this should have been included in the show in some way. Yeah, I just, it. this has every single thing that they could add to the world. It's Geralt and Ciri having a close heart-to-heart, and multiple times Geralt puts his arm around her. Ciri's inquisitive. There's teaching moments. And again, it's another question I would ask is not including the Scoia'tael. And I would, it's almost like in the show they don't want the elves to be seen as bad in any way. Yeah. And I, I just, that's just too easy. And I just don't think that's The Witcher. Yeah. That's what makes The Witcher so special. And also to your point about including this in the show, it's also a fight scene, right? We've yeah. talked a lot this season about how much action is crammed into this season. This right here would have been a classic Hollywood fight scene. Siri fighting off an elf, being disarmed, nearly getting killed, saved at the last second by Geralt. All of these moments would have just been classic television. Yeah, there's multiple times where she's just in a ton of danger. It's very chaotic. It's very hectic. And yes, the murky morality is the main thing. Like, who's bad? Who's good? Like, this elf is about to kill Siri, and Geralt kills her. And then a couple of pages later, they're both apologizing to the corpse. And that's the Witcher. It's not... All these other things, it's not monster fighting. It's not, oh, let me claim this contract and throw back some mead. It's not bros chilling at Kaer Morin. It's not all this other stuff. This is The Witcher. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I understand you can't adapt everything. And you can't adapt a lot of things. But one of the reasons they said it was so hard to adapt with Blood of Elves was a lot of stuff didn't happen. I mean, my God, everything happens here. I would have lost, honest to God, I would have lost thousands of dollars betting that there's no way this scene is left out of the show. Well, it's a good thing you're not a betting man, Brett. Well, I am a betting man, but I didn't put it on this, so. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good thing I'm not a witcher betting man. Yeah, true, true. All right, let's talk about takeaway number two, because I think one of the reasons scenes like that were omitted from the show is because we had to focus so much on the titular character, Voleth That plotline took up a lot of time and a lot of plot space this season. And for our second takeaway, we wanted to check back in with Voleth 
because at the start of this season, way back in episode two, if you recall, the Deathless Mother made these three deals with Yen, Francesca, and Frangilla. And in today's episode, we see all three of those deals come to a dramatic conclusion one way or another. Her endgame from the beginning has been pretty clear. Carol tells us, word for word here, Volothmir is a demon that feeds on pain, and that has been her endgame from the start, to inflict as much chaos and pain as she can to escape this hut, to gain enough power, feed off that pain, and escape this hut. And that's exactly what happens in today's episode. So let's check in with each of our three ladies that cut a deal with the Deathless Mother and see how it played out for them, starting with Frangilla. So Frangilla makes her move, if you will, in this episode. I guess it's I guess it's fair to say that Francesca betrayed her, right? I would say Their so. Partnership. They had, they had this friendship. Yeah. They had this partnership, and Francesca changed her mind. And so Frangilla is caught between basically Hake and Kyrie, where Hake is obviously very antagonistic toward her, and Kyrie is at best maybe somewhat looking out for her, but you can't really be too sure because it's Nilfgaard and it's Kyrie, and so. She tries to make nice with the Brotherhood and go back and be, you know, acquiesce to it. That is not her. And we see that very quickly, again, with the this bitch look, that she does know her place. And her place is in power. Yep. And she makes that move to go back to the, the, the Nilfgaardian Last Supper. But more than the other two, Frangilla is giving in to Volithmir more. Like I mentioned before, Francesca, there wasn't really much there that we saw. Yen is really fighting it. Frangilla is just almost having fun with it as she hears the voice and she stabs through the eye, stabs through yeah. the throat and in the back of the neck. Like she does them all different. She's really enjoying what she did at that dinner. Definitely. She's really doubling down on this quest for power where before she was trying to be political and strategic, this alliance with the elves, a friendship with Francesca, try and gain power and build up this army for Nilfgaard and show her worth. Now she's just playing dirty. Straight up magic murder. It's also for purely personal gain. She's not doing it to really help anybody. Yeah. Where Francesca was literally, I want to rebuild our race <laughs> to not be extinct. And I guess Yennefer's was also personal as well, but it was more just her getting magic back. Frangilla's literally seems to be, I want to be as powerful as anybody outside the Emperor. Right. And I'm interested to see where the show will take this plotline with Frangilla because seemingly by the end of this episode, she's gotten her way. And it seems like maybe Frangilla has come out the other side with what she's wanted, but it's probably not going to go like she wants. And knowing that deals with Volothmir, deals with this deathless mother, don't end happily for anyone, I have a feeling Frangilla's desperate move here for power backfire on her one that it also backfired on yennefer yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it backfires on yennefer she has this change of heart though she does not give in to her id or her innermost desires but yeah it leaves her in a bad, pretty bad spot it does to your point about fringilla really leaning into her desire what the deathless mother gave her yennefer all throughout the season has actually pushed back and has tried other ways to get her chaos back and even here in this desperate moment, she realizes that she cares for Siri more than she realized and that Siri is just a child and she shouldn't do this. But 
by making that choice, she has alienated Geralt. Geralt literally is holding a blade to her throat by the end of this episode. The person that she still very much loves, she has betrayed outright. And the Deathless Mother has been a part of that. So if we're talking chaos and pain being the goal of the Deathless Mother, this is where the pain comes in. You can see it in Yennefer's face, Anya Chalatra, doing a lot of wonderful acting when that blade is at her throat. Segwaying perfectly into a blade to the throat and feeling pain, <laughs> Francesca, who everything was great, but the baby is not. And now everything that they had, all their future is gone with it. Yep. It's gone up in smoke. And the way I read this actually was, it seems to me that Volith Mir perhaps expertly played Frangilla and Francesca off of each other. Maybe the Deathless Mother knew that one of them would betray the other, that this alliance between elves and Nilfgaard could never actually last. It seems like a bit of a long con on Volith Mir's part to ensure that there is more chaos between Nilfgaard, between the elves, between this alliance, and between Frangilla and Francesca and their friendship. Yeah, it seems to be setting the elves up with nobody. Now they potentially think, oh, we've been betrayed by Nilfgaard, we're leaving. Obviously, the Northern Realms and all that's still bad. So they're kind of uh, on their own. Yeah, definitely. And you can imagine there will be some sort of mutiny and plenty of bloodshed to come now that they've decided to turn their backs on Nilfgaard. In conclusion, Deathless Mother got her way. Plenty of pain, plenty of chaos for her to feed on, and enough to get out of that hut at the end of the episode as well. All right, Brett, let's wrap up today. We've touched on a lot of topics. We've expressed a lot of opinions. What did you think overall about episode seven, now that we've discussed it? Episodes four through seven seem to be a completely different show and a much better one. This had, again, just lightning quick pacing, jumping from scene to scene. And it kind of masked some of those discrepancies that we obviously will find because we pick it apart because we're dorks and we're here <laughs> to do it. it. Sometimes, again, lack of character development, if we talked about for the big three, again, Siri and Geralt. But this is a wild ass show that is in line with the wild ass novels. I should say it's in line of being wild. Obviously, they're very, very different from the novels. I'm not saying this is like Blood of Elves at all. <laughs> yeah. But just it's, it's out there. Something like The Deathless Mother would absolutely fit in with The Witcher. It's just, you know, something in here the way they're doing it. Would you say you liked Seven as much as perhaps Four or Five? Yeah, I would. And again, th despite being teased numerous times with Shaharawit and reminded, Brett, it's not in here. <laughs> uh, the the Fringilla Last Supper scene was absolutely incredible. And like I said, it's so good. It masks a lot of that other stuff. The main thing I look for was I entertained by the end of the show, and I absolutely was. I'm with you on this one. I know last week on episode six, I was feeling mixed. Episode seven brought it back for me. I enjoyed it start to finish. And I think part of that enjoyment was the fact that Almost nothing in this episode was directly drawn from the books. And for me personally, that made it easier to disassociate books, TV show. TV show is its own thing here. And I could just enjoy it just as an episode of the TV show. So I really had very little in the way of nitpicks for this one. I enjoyed it start to finish. Each of the scenes was well paced. 
And unlike last week, I didn't feel like we were jumping around so much that it was hard to keep up. The pacing felt appropriate. If I had to nitpick something, I'd say that I'm really interested to see how they handle this Geralt-Yennefer relationship that we're at now because uh, things are not good. Blades are being held to throats. And based on where we know the books go in the future, I'm very interested in how they will handle it because I'm a little worried it might be hard to dig out of the hole that they've dug between Geralt and Yen's relationship here. This Geralt-Yen relationship change on top of the Yennefer-Siri relationship change feels dramatically different from the books. And we'll see where things go in the next episode and future seasons as well. Well, Abu, podcast or podcast, lesser, greater, middling, they're all the same. But we've completed our contract and it's time to collect our reward. So leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And check out the other shows on the Lore Party Podcast Network on loreparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you on the path.